Um, so we're in a series on Hebrews. We've been in this series for a few weeks, and I'm excited about today's message. The title of my message is that meat is greater than milk. Meat is better than milk. <laughs> Somebody say amen, right? Okay. Uh, I like a cold glass of milk. Anybody else in here put ice cubes in their milk to keep it ice cold? Praise God. We are one in the spirit. This is great. Um, I got some people who like, why would you put ice in it? It'll get watery. Uh, I love it. You know, put some Oreo, like, okay, never mind, getting you hungry. But meat is better than milk. Um, any day I've eaten a double stuffed Oreo and had it with an ice cold glass of milk uh, is beat by any day I've had a wonderful steak cooked on a grill with fire. It is so good. Um, and so I'm going to actually draw some points out of some places in Hebrews today and share with you some important stuff that I think that each one of us should be challenged by because meat truly is better than milk when we're talking about spiritual things. You're going to find that the author of Hebrews, Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, also has the same sort of comparison. And he talks about, hey, you really ought to graduate to solid food. And if you've ever raised a kid and experienced that moment of them tasting you know, solid foods and then being off of uh, bottled milk and that kind of thing, it's amazing to see their growth and development to start to happen. So we want that to happen in our spiritual lives. I want to remind you, though, of something since we're in the book of Hebrews. We do have guests here today. I'll tell you, we have not determined who the author is of Hebrews. Okay, some say Paul, some say others. Uh, it has different writing in it than any other epistle or letter in the New Testament. So we're not really sure who that is. So you'll hear me today say the author of Hebrews because I've not chosen a good candidate. The other thing I want to tell you is this, that chapter and verse divisions are a modern aid. So when we talk about Hebrews chapter 5, today we're going to read the latter part of chapter 5, the last part of chapter 5, and then we'll read the first half of chapter 6. It's because they bleed into each other, and they're all one thought. Um, they, it was not originally written with chapters and verses. We had to do that so that we could then say, in a gathering like this, go to chapter so-and-so, verse so-and-so. So I just want to make sure that you're on, on board with that. Last week, we talked about Jesus being better than Melchizedek. He's a mysterious um, character in the Old Testament, and uh, the, the author of Hebrews determines that Jesus is better than him, and then he goes into a place where he is going to warn his audience about something we call he refers to as falling away. Another word that we could use is the word backsliding or a more educated high class sort of word would be the word apostasy. Something where you have chosen to walk this life of faith, but then all of a sudden through different circumstances, different choices of your own, you have then walked away and you have provided or, or put distance in between you and God. And so the author is going to give them a strong warning. Whatever your church background is, I need you to hear me. Everyone who hears this message, I understand that I am in the Bible belt of the South. I understand there is a phrase that people have used, once saved, always saved. But I want to challenge you to study God's word for yourself and just let it be what it is. We should form our doctrine and our practice, like what we believe and what we do in our life, should be formed 
truly by the clarity we find in Scripture. It should not be man-made practices that we then fit into Scripture. So I would strongly encourage you to make sure that your life, the life, the spiritual life that you live and really the life that you live regardless here on this earth, if you are a believer, that you base it on stuff you can find and back up in the word of God. Um, now that statement might be countercultural, but it's not counter God, okay? God wants you to know his word and more than that, to know him as the author. And I think there's some things that we could learn today, regardless of our church background and whatever our thoughts were about soteriology, Okay, uh, salvation, that's the Greek word we use for the study of salvation. Okay, regardless of where you come from, I think there's some important stuff that you should hear today. So Hebrews chapter five, let's look at verse 11 through 14. The, the words will be on the screen for you, but you can use your Bible as well. This is the English standard version. It says about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The criticism that we find here in this passage is heavy, but it's not unfounded. Remember, the people who are receiving this letter, they were Jews who were Orthodox Jews and only believed in the Old Testament, but then they met Messiah. They, they came to an understanding of who Jesus was and that he was their savior. And now they have the, the, the studies say, or the scholars say that this is probably the second or third generation of Christians after the cross. So already in that time, they're having some challenges, some issues, and they're getting these criticisms. Let me tell you the first thing that he says, I'll put them to you in my words. The first is this, you've become deaf. Now, he says dull of hearing, but if you do a little bit of research, you'll find it is not due to overuse or to age. If you look at the words that are printed in scripture there that say dull of hearing and do a study, you'll find it is a choice-driven result. Uh, I have a, a buddy of mine who says, huh, all the time aggravates me to death because I'm not a quiet talker. <laughs> so I know he's heard me. And there are some times when I say to him, I say, I will say to him, you heard me and I'll just stop. And he'll, and then he'll re rephrase what I just said. Cause he heard it. He just has this habit of saying, huh? And so I'm, I'm at least with me, I'm trying to get him out of that habit. Deaf by choice is the, is the criticism that's given. The second thing he says is you should be teaching, but you still need to be taught. 
So there's this expectation that they should be old enough and well-learned enough or educated enough in God's word that they should be able to be sharing that with others, yet there's some lack of that or a major deficit, a major lack of that, and says, you should be teaching by now, but in fact, the author finds that they still need to be taught. The third thing I see in this passage is very clear. Milk is for babies. Feed is for adults, right? I mean, so he's telling them you need milk. In fact, Paul, the apostle, writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, and he says, you can't, you can't handle the steak I'm trying to give you. I'm going to give you some milk instead because that's what you need because you a baby. <laughs> okay? All right, so remember, we're reading this about other people in other places, not about people in our church, obviously. So the fourth thing I see here is that he tells them that they're lazy and out of practice. Listen to what it says in verse 14. Christine, if you'll go back for me. It says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So in other words, they've become dull of hearing. They still need a bottle. They're, they're not ready for solid food because that's for mature people. And mature people are those who are diligently training themselves by constant practice. Keep going. We read as kind of a run-on sentence or a continuation. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Like he's listing out these things of saying like, do we really have to go back to this? Verse three, and this we will do if God permits, the, the word there, permit, really is, could be seen as if we have to. If God makes us, we'll talk to you about it again. It's a little bit salty there. But verse 4, it says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Another way to look at that would be and disrespecting his sacrifice. Verse seven says this, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop that's useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. I was driving yesterday in Madison and there's a really pretty church um, up t- between Madison and Gluckstadt and uh, right next door to it. I've, I've been up there several times in the last couple of weeks and right next door is this giant field, tiny little plants I saw just two weeks back, corn now this big as I'm driving by because it's receiving the rain and it's, it's doing something with it. It's going to be productive. Look at what it says in verse eight. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and it's near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. 
Verse nine, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Verse 11 says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That verse right there is important. So that you may not be sluggish. Um, I don't have this in my notes, but the thought came to me and I might butcher the statement, so help me out. A body in motion stays in motion and a body at rest (laughs) doesn't want to not rest, right? Um, We had a discussion this week in our household. Uh, My wife's been doing daily walks with the girls. One of them, happy as can be. Let's go for a walk, mama. The other one, we have to. I can't find my shoes. I don't want to. I'll let you guess which one. If you know my, my, my family, my kids, you know. Okay? And if they ever hear this message, they, I didn't name them. So, uh, But the idea is a body at rest wants to stay at rest. Uh, if you've ever been in a, a chair and asked somebody to hand you something three feet away because you just didn't want to get up. I mean, us guys, we understand that. Ladies, you, you probably, you're, you're always serving and always helpful and that kind of thing. But maybe there's times that that's happened to you too. But historically for guys, we like, hey, let's sit in the chair. Hey, Dylan, give me the remote. It's over there. Dad, you can get it yourself. No. So sluggish. But imitators, <laughs> but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I love the plurality that's mentioned there. It's not just the promise of salvation. The promises of God are available to you through faith and patience. And some of us have skimped on one or both of those things. Even today, more than a thousand years after the writing of Hebrews, this message can still have an application to us. So basically what the author is saying is this, five quick things just in my words. The first is this, you need to graduate. You need to graduate and get out of the eighth grade and move on to high school. You need to graduate high school and move on to college. Like he is, he's using that understanding. You've got to get rid of this elementary stuff. The second thing he's saying is backsliding is possible because he he tells them very clearly that it is. He references it as a reality. And I'll point out to you in a few minutes, some places in the old and in the new Testament that show individuals and groups of people who did this. Number three, gives them hope. We feel sure of better things. I am sure that you can do this and that you can grow, that you can no longer be sluggish, that you can start imitating those through faith and through patience have earned or received, not earned, but received the promises of God. And then the fourth thing I see there is that God won't overlook your work and your love for others. How many of you have ever felt sidelined in any way right? Push to the side in any way. Two hands went up. It's a hundred percent of us, but we've all experienced this. 
we've been overlooked at some point in our life. God's promise in his word in Hebrews is God will not overlook your work and your love for others. That's so encouraging to know that no matter how hard it gets, God won't overlook you. And then the fifth thing, which is a clear statement, don't be sluggish. Another word we could use is lazy. Don't, don't rest on your laurels. Let's get up and grow up and move forward. So there's some meat here for us today that I want to bring out to you and show you. The audience that received the letter would have definitely felt the sting of these criticisms. They would have definitely been like, wait a second, Joker, okay? But then there's hope that's being offered as well. They need to simply imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. So he warns the audience of falling away or backsliding or apostasy. And I want to do the same for you today. In the whole idea of spiritual meat versus spiritual milk, Stephen Furtick, who's a pastor of a large church in North Carolina, he said it like this, Christians aren't malnourished because of what they get fed on Sundays. They're malnourished because they don't feed themselves Monday through Saturday. Everybody say, oh me. Okay, when I say the word everybody, I actually mean all the humans in the room. All right, everybody say, oh me. There we go. So he said this, I didn't, but I like it and I agree. Christians aren't malnourished because of what they get fed on Sundays. They're malnourished because they don't feed themselves Monday through Saturday. So in other words, you can't be fed on a steak on a Sunday and expect that to last you for the next six days because it won't. It just won't. It doesn't work in the physical world, natural world, and it doesn't work in the spiritual world. And I know, and I can confess, every message that I serve up to you is not grade A, top-notch Wagyu beef, okay? And if you know what that is, points to you, okay? Special kind of cows that like live in Japan, okay? Just super moist, super tender, amazing, amazing. I know that every message that I provide is not grade A, top-notch. But still the point is this, you can't expect to eat once a week, It is my job as a shepherd to feed you, but it's your job to eat. Amen? It's your job to start putting it to work. I could say it like this. If each of us practice this week what I preached today, we will have done our job sufficiently. And I think sometimes we fall into a rut where we show up to Sunday and we go, ooh, I took some notes today. Wow, that was really good. And then Monday comes and work and marriage and life and all this other stuff. And then we don't actually put into practice what we did. And then we keep doing what I think it was Albert Einstein that first said, essentially doing the same thing repetitively, but expecting something different to happen is insanity. So we just get stuck in a rut and stay in that rut. So I'm challenging you this week, starting today, to be feeding, even on the milk of the word. If that's where you're at, there's no guilt in that. Feed on the word of God. If it's meat, then dig deeper. Find a a Bible study resource, a concordance. Do some searching in the word of God. If you refuse to study the word of God for yourself and apply it to your life, there's not much I can do to help you. 
I mean, that's the truth of what is happening through Hebrews, what he's pretty much saying out loud, that I'm saying now I should say out loud, is your malnourishment can't be cured by anything I give you on a single Sunday. You got to do the work yourself. God doesn't work. Man, This I'm telling you this is from the Holy Spirit for somebody today. God does not work by proxy. He doesn't. He works one-on-one with you. He doesn't have grandkids. Okay, that's another way we say that. He, you can't get in on the coattails of someone else. You have your own relationship with God. And so this is really important stuff. The truth is the American church is malnourished and emaciated, and it's their own fault. This is not the case in the worldwide global church. There are people all over the world that are suffering for the gospel's sake, and they are not the same as the American church. In fact, in our weekly prayer that the pastors in Clinton get together, one of them shared with me that they are ministering to somebody who is a professor in China. He's here studying at a university in Jackson, and he is getting uh, some additional coursework. He's a new Christian, only a year old in the faith, and he wants to go back to China and start a church or a small group, you could say, with his professor buddies because it is against the law in China currently as a director, like in a, in a executive role in a university, to attend church. You cannot do it. So he says, I need all that I can to be able to go back. And so when I'm sitting at the lunch table, I can share with my friends and I can lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. And he said to this American pastor, my friend, he said, pray for me that I would be like you. Because when I go through all of this and the pastor stopped him and said, no, 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 no. I want you to pray for me that I would be like you that I would be ready and willing to suffer persecution, that I would boldly proclaim my faith regardless of the results. I want to be like you. See, the American church is malnourished and it's emaciated. That means starving and ugly. <laughs> okay. Um, and it, do- it doesn't look pretty. And I, you know, I'm talking about other churches. I'm not talking about ours. Supposed to laugh a little louder so I know I can move on. This is the same temptation, though, that the Hebrews faced. It's the same thing that they faced back then. They'd neglected their faith and they were in danger of falling away. So I would say to you something like this If you were to show me a believer who is spiritually disciplined, reading their Bible regularly, praying and talking to God regularly, fellowshipping with the saints regularly. I promise you that the level of their complacency or laziness is slim to none. If you're sticking that close to Jesus and you're that engaged in your faith, then there is less danger of you falling away. It's a danger for sure for all of us, but there's less of it that's present. To say it another way, the believer who's in daily fellowship with God is not going to be the one who easily backslides. And this is important for us to to understand. So when we hear the word backslide, it generally conjures up in images of some sort of revolting sin. You know, uh, somebody who went to church for 30 years is now cheating on their spouse. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? That's what we kind of tend to think of when it comes to backsliding. But I would say this, it's not just falling backward, it's also failing to go forward. If you're not moving forward in Christ and your relationship with him, then you are naturally going backward. That's just how this works. In the Christian life, there is no standing still. Right. 
we are either progressing or we are regressing. So the question really is, is can a Christian backslide? And the answer is yes, it's apparent throughout God's word. Look at what Jeremiah 2 verse 19 says. These are some very strong words that God says and speaks to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Your wickedness, mm, Okay, I printed the wrong copy in my notes. I'll read off the screen. Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy, that word in the other translations actually says backsliding, will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord Almighty or the the Lord God of hosts. Look at what Jeremiah 15 verse 6 says. It says this, you have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep backsliding. So I've stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am tired. I'll read it to you in the translation I have here. I am tired of holding back. You say, wait a second. This doesn't sound like the God of love and peace that we... Well, he's a God of justice too. And he basically says, I'm, I've had it up to here, y'all. The people of Israel had backslidden. You say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Uh, Jesus came, all the other good stuff. Everything's wonderful. The Holy Spirit's here now. We just read in Hebrews chapter five and six, that warning to not fall away. But I think of another New Testament example of a guy who you might know and have some similarities with like I do. His name is Peter. The truth is Peter was prideful and he was overly self-confident. You can read that. You don't, it doesn't take uh, some investigation. You just read some of the interactions that he had with Jesus, and you can see that there was such a huge boulder of pride that he carried around with him, and that he was overly self-confident. Another thing he was is Peter was prayerless. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because it says it in God's word. Because it says that Jesus, Jesus basically went to the garden, and he says, Peter, James, and John, I want you to come pray with me. And within minutes, they had fallen asleep and given up and were not praying. So he was prayerless. And the the next thing that I noticed is something that you may never have seen. It is that Peter distanced himself from Jesus. I really want you to think about this because the words are clear in Scripture. Luke chapter 22, verse 54, is talking about Jesus and the moments of his trial before he gets crucified. It says, then they seized him, being Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following, but at a distance. He had put some distance in between him and the Lord. And within just the next two or three verses, if you read the rest of that chapter, you'll see he begins to deny him. And the, the fire is lit and the, the servant girl is there. Hey, aren't you one of his guys in his gang, in his crew? And No, 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 that's not me. But something I hadn't really thought of was that he distanced. He put distance in between himself and Jesus. So how do you prevent backsliding? You know, if this is a danger that all of us could face and do face, then how do we really prevent that from happening? And again, today is not a message about eternal security and all those other things. We could talk more in depth about that, and we do from time to time. But here's the, the summary statement. 
I'm as secure as I want to be in God's hands. Which is pretty amazing because you can find page after page, Old Testament, New Testament, that he talks about their works, their actions, the motivation of their heart, the the longing for their heart for other things or other gods. It's really important that we understand that we can prevent backsliding. And here's how you do it. The first thing is this, feed yourself properly. Make sure that you feed yourself properly. And then I would say this, stay close to Jesus and to others who are close to Jesus. I, I am a better person and I have a better day when I've hung out with people who hang out with Jesus. Even if I haven't hung out with him yet today, or maybe I skipped yesterday, or I didn't the day before, or it's been a little while, when I'm with the people of God, you say, well, that sounds hypocritical. No, there's something unifying about those who are close to him that just attracts you and causes you to have a wonderful, I guess I could say it like this, a wonderful guilt that says, wow, you know what? It's been a while since I've been with him myself. Jesus, how are you today? Let's talk. And so I say this, stay close to Jesus and stay close in fellowship with those who are close to Jesus. Worship team, would you come? For those of you that are guests with us today, I wanna make sure that you know kind of what happens in our services. Every week we invite the worship team to come back just for a song of an encore is what we call it. But it's really a time of reflection for you and for me that we think through the message. Think through how it applies for me. I pray to God above that you did not sit here today and think, oh yeah, I know somebody who's backslidden. No, that's not what we're doing. That's not what you should be doing. If you're a mature believer, you should be praying for that person, but you should also be considering introspectively yourself and wondering if there's any place of complacency in you. The question is, are you growing spiritually or have you stopped growing? Remember, it's not just going backwards, it's a failure to go forward. And I wanna challenge you today in this last few minutes together. I wanna challenge you today to make a fresh commitment and move forward in your relationship with Jesus. Because the truth is you can never be too close to him. You truly can't. You can never be too close. I watched a nature movie this week with my girls and um, they loved it. And the, we, there are a certain brand of movies that we watch. And um, anyway, in this nature movie, there was a snow leopard that was attacking a blue sheep and getting it as its prey. And it picked this baby blue sheep off. And I started to think, how, how did the snow leopard determine that that was the, the one for the day, that that was the meal today? And I, I noticed something. It's always, and you can watch something about African safaris and you know lions and whatever chasing other prey. They're always looking for the loner for the weak, vulnerable one, the one who's going through something, maybe has a disability in one of its limbs, moves a little slower than the rest. And I, 
I thought about that in the context of our message today, and I really, my thought is this, that our enemy would love nothing more than to pick you off. He, he, he knows you've been hurt. He knows that area of weakness that you have, that leaning towards backsliding, and he wants to drive the point home. He wants to pick you off from the flock. He really, really, truly does. But I, I say to you today, stand strong against him. There's all sorts of militaristic language in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament for us as believers, that we're to be on guard, that we're to be sober and vigilant, that we're to be dressed with the full armor of God, that we would be able to stand against him and the things that he throws at us. So I said earlier, there's no shame if you still need milk. Get it. Get it. That's okay. It's not a, I'm not, there's not a growth comparison for you today. It should just be us looking back at the word of God and saying, where do I fit into this? Would you stand with me? Because the truth is, it's been said, and that's a famous ad campaign. Milk does a body good, doesn't it? Right? You guys remember that? Am I alone? No, you remember that, right? Does a, it does a body good, right? And then they had a, a different one, I guess, more recently. It was got milk with a question mark. And that's my thought today is we need to get fed. You and I both need to make sure that we are getting fed and we need to grow up in our faith. So only you know how to do that with your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. We believe that he's real. He's here today. I felt him in, the, in, in my studying of this message. I feel him during the delivery of this message that he wants to draw you to a deeper place with him. He wants to provide you with a steak, the best steak you've never yet tasted. But let me say this very clearly, and I, I want to close with this thought, and that is the worst excuse that I have ever heard from a believer who left the church was, I'm just not getting fed. Oh, that boils my blood. <laughs> it boils my blood. Not because, you know, I have a vested interest, obviously, because I'm a shepherd and feed sheep, but I've heard it of other people leaving other places. I've heard it of people we've received in here who said, yeah, just, I just wasn't getting fed. And I think it bothers God because I really want to encourage you today. If that's you or you've known somebody like that, don't be a baby. <laughs> Grow up and work out your problems with people. Have unity. Don't ever leave a church or the fellowship of brothers and sisters because you simply got your feelings hurt. Say, Pastor, wow, that's kind of strong. I'm, I'm saying it with a smile, though. Don't leave because you got your feelings hurt and then you swept something under the rug and you didn't handle an issue. God doesn't want you to handle your regular personal life like that. He sure doesn't want you to handle stuff with his body like that. That's why the normal response in the kingdom of God and should be the normal response is fight and compromise not flight, not I'm taking my toys and going home. And that's sometimes what happens. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that today because I really think that the people who do that sort of thing 
rob themselves of the ability to mature and listen to me, hang on for a second, and rob us as a body of maturing as well. Because now we don't have the opportunity to work through the conflict. We don't have the opportunity to come to a compromise, to figure out what the real issue is. So all I say is don't be that person. Encourage those that you know to not be those people. That was a bigger piece of steak that I thought I was going to bite off for you today. But I I want to make sure to, to mention that in context of what we're talking about. Remember that meat is better than milk. So let me ask you this question. We say this prayer every week in some way, shape, or form. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? But instead of you praying that today, that's my challenge to you. I'm asking you, what has the Holy Spirit said to you in this message? If he's tugged on your heart, respond. Don't be callous towards him, even if it's been a really long time. Sam, I love you. I'm so glad to have you around here. Sam is one of our, uh, well, I was going to say oldest, but then that starts talking about his age. He's, <laughs> he's, he's one of our longest, how about that? One of our longest uh, families in the church, he and his wife, Anne. And for a time there, Sam was really hurt. And Sam walked away, walked away from fellowship, walked away from brotherhood, from unity, walked away from growth in his personal life and relationship with God. I hope he forgives me for sharing this. I think he's okay with it. And I would say this, I have seen so much growth in Sam over these last year and a half or so that he's been dedicated and back. He'll tell you he walked away for a little while, but it's the love of the Lord that drew him back. Even recently, he hosted a men's event here at the church and led that. And I'm just so thankful for what that turnaround can look like. It's good, isn't it, Sam, to feel the presence of the Father again. So you can do that today, no matter where you came from, no matter where you're headed, you can be close to Jesus. Close your eyes with me right now. Holy Spirit, I've sensed your presence in this message today. I've sensed your peace in this moment. And I just pray that as we sing this last song, you'd help us to make a commitment to have a fresh start with you. Lord, forgive us for the complacency and compromise in our own lives and for backsliding. Forgive us for not moving forward. And Lord, help us to grow close to you. In Jesus' name I pray.